restaurants call squid? Calamari, right. And if you ever find yourself in northern Greece, a city called Thessalonica, and you hear people saying calamari, they're not saying squid, folks. It's actually how you say the Greek phrase, good morning. (laughs) Kalimara, all right? That's how you say good morning. And everything else they say, well, I would say it's all Greek to me, all right? And you know that expression. Had to do that in honor of First and Second Thessalonians, because the city still exists, right? Thessalonica. And we are, are looking at those two books together in our fi- second to final Sunday of going through the whole Bible in a year. Next week will be Revelation. Um, but I hope today's sermon is not all Greek to you. I hope that I can do, as J. Vernon McGee said, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I want to make the Word of God very practical for you, but I promise you I will never water down the gospel. I will never do that as long as I preach here. I will never omit the hard stuff, even if it doesn't fit into our culture. I won't do that. And I will always give you the whole Word of God, because that's what we are called to do as pastors and teachers of the Word. And I won't put my faith in how I say it, how clever I can be, how funny I can be, because I know I'm funny, okay? I get that. I will always put my faith in the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that actually changes lives. And I will never put my faith in anything else. I want to tell you how the church begins. That's the title I gave this message. Um, How it begins really the way it should begin. And that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we see the church um, throughout the book of Acts, kind of growing, growing, growing. And so I want you to see that. The genuine church begins with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Now, I know um, there are new churches starting every day. Somewhere in the world today, a new church has just begun. They just are having their very first Sunday, and that's exciting because my wife and I, we have been a part of two brand new churches, this one and one when we first got married. And I can tell you um, with 100% confidence that If a church starts any other way than by the power of the Holy Spirit, it just ends up being a social club. Think about that. It's just a social club. You know, it's it's a group of people coming together and for for kind of under not the right reasons. And you want to come to a church that is founded on the right reasons, the right purpose, and that is um, God doing his work. And you heard two people sharing their testimony. This is what God has been doing in their life. If the Holy Spirit's not at work, it's no good. We've got to have the Holy Spirit at work. So I'm going to pray as I preach this word, and uh, I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit. Father God, may you today speak to our lives, whether it be the, the announcements, the, the, the book that Connie brought in to, to share our, and give thanks for all the things that we have that we can write in there as a church, whether it be the offering of prayer, whether it be the testimonies of Sierra and Heather, whether it be the word, whether it be the music that we sang today, whatever it is, Father, in this service that changes, that your Holy Spirit uses to change lives, God, I just pray that um, it would do its work. I pray that your, this, this, this word that I'm about to preach would not come back void, that it would do what it's intended to do, the purpose of it would would come, come forth, and, and that I would become less, and you would become more. God, may people not see me, but may they see the word. May they see you. May they feel and experience you in a greater way. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. 
So there's a, the journey, if you want to follow the journey of the new churches starting up, it's in the book of Acts. And I'm going to take you to, that, to Acts 17 um, just to get us going here because you have to understand that the Apostle Paul um, had a team of people with him as they started these churches. And they traveled, you know, from Jerusalem, right, around the Mediterranean Sea, and they went to all these different cities. And they were heading around the Aegean Sea when they went into what's modern-day Greece, okay? And so when they entered into Greece, Paul was with uh, Silas and Timothy and, and most likely Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the, book, the gospel of Luke, and with some others. And there's this team, and they entered into the city of, of Thessalonica, and they um, went to do what they usually do. And I want to bring that to you. Uh, the scripture will be on the uh, TVs for you. But in Acts 17.2, it says that Paul went in, as was his custom. So you get the feel for how they went about planting a church. They went into what already existed, a Jewish synagogue. And it says that he preached there, spoke there, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned from the scriptures. He only stayed in Thessalonica for just three weeks. That was it. Now, you ask why. For real, you can ask why. Say why. why? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you. <laughs> there were some Jewish men who were, in essence, jealous of Paul. So they actually um, got together, hired some of the roughest guys in town, started a mob. And ran them out of town. That's why they couldn't stay longer. They got run out of town. And then it says that Paul's next stop, the team's next stop, was Berea. And we don't know much about Berea, but they really examined the scriptures. That's what we know about Berea. And when they went into Berea, this Thessalonian mob followed them down there and pushed them out of there. So you can see they were really jealous of Paul. They didn't like what he was doing. Well, Paul went on to Athens, and there's that great passage in Acts about what, what happened in Athens. And then he walked over that land bridge into Corinth. And I just preached on Cor uh, Corinthians not too long ago. And uh, he stayed 18 months in Corinth. And that's where we believe he wrote these letters to the Thessalonians, these two letters that we have. So that's what happened. Now, a good question you might ask is, how can Paul actually make a difference in just three weeks? You're just three weeks in a city. How can you make a difference? I mean, I thought about that a lot because I thought to myself, man, 66 books in the Bible, right? I mean, I had a hard enough time preaching one book at a time each Sunday, and, and I had, you know, the whole year to do it. What would I do if I only had three weeks? You know, if you ever taught the Bible before, if you ever taught a Sunday school class, or you ever preached before, think about that. Like, you got three weeks. That's it. What are you going to talk about? What are you going to preach on? I think, uh, for me... I would have a hard time with that. But Paul taught some things that I think you're going to find are pretty interesting because he was talking to brand new Christians, a lot of them. And what he talked to them about, you can see right away, he didn't water it down at all. I mean, he talked about what needed to be talked about. But I'm going to come back to that, all right? I want to tell you how he made a difference in just three weeks, how he made a difference in just three weeks. Um, in the summer of uh, 2012, I traveled to the Czech Republic for 10 days. I went with about a dozen other Americans on a mission trip, 
and it was an established thing that happens every summer. Uh, we lead an um, English camp, they call it, an English camp. It's kind of like a VBS for the kids, but it's also for adults. And so we had about a dozen Americans, and then we had about um, 40 or so Czechs that um, we all kind of went into this um, retreat area in the mountains, and we just um, spent the whole week together um, getting to know each other and really um, um, using you know, the, the ability of teaching them English, um, teaching them, well, I was in charge of sports. Shocker, I know, right? Um, but uh, so that was my job, and through the sports, able to just kind of share the gospel with them. But uh, it was the course of one week, just one week of spending time with them. But you know what? We laughed together. We, we played all kinds of games. We prayed together. And when I spent one week, we bonded, man. We really bonded. So much so that even today, we're still friends on Facebook. We still keep in touch. We, you know, in, in that way. And um, that was just one week. So Paul had three weeks. Three weeks. And every day, he was communicating, talking, ministering to them. And I have no doubts that he had a huge impact because of what we see in these letters. He made friends, and many of those friends were brothers and sisters in Christ, new Christians. Paul loved them dearly. He wrote these letters to them. They're actually the newer, uh, some of the newest writings, the earliest writings, um, and they're written almost back-to-back, like a year apart maybe. So again, I think Paul went into Corinth. He wrote a letter back to Thessalonica, uh, to the Thessalonians, and then he wrote another one about a year after that. And you're going to find out why because of what some things that had happened. But just listen how he greets them. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he says, Paul, Silvanus, that's long for Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. That's how he introduces. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And isn't this been a week of thanksgiving? We give thanks, he says, to God and always for all of you. He's constantly mentioning you in, your, in our prayers. We're remembering before our God and Father that your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul liked to talk about faith, hope, and love, didn't he? Faith, hope, and love. You got a sign at your house somewhere, a plaque that says faith, hope, and love on it? We probably do. Most Christians have those two, three words, faith, hope, and love. In his second letter, 2 Thessalonians, he kind of says the same thing. Verse 3, we always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. We find out right away that they were enduring some afflictions. It wasn't uh, okay to, we, we worship freely. You can go to any church you want in America and no one is going to persecute you. But back in that culture, there was persecution. There was affliction. The mob ran Paul out of town. What do you think they did to the people who claimed to be Christians that were living in Thessalonica? They, they got afflicted. They got persecuted. Paul saves these, uh, 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 or writes these letters, and he mentions some important things that I want to talk about. But I want to tell you why it's here. And it's not because there is talk about the end times. Some of us like to talk about the end times and what's going on, what's going to happen. And that's in here, and we'll talk about that today. But I think this is more of two letters of hope, of hope. And that's why I put it together with some other books, 
Two weeks ago, we went through Isaiah. Isaiah talked about hope in Jesus, lots of prophecies about Jesus. Last week was Zechariah and Matthew and hope in the kingdom of heaven. This week, it's our hope in uh, the return of Jesus Christ. For Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 and 14. You may know somebody in your, in your life that isn't real religious, and you may have tried to share your faith with them, tried to talk to them a little bit about what it means to be a Christian, and maybe your motive is, you know what, you just really want to see them go to heaven. I think a lot of times I remember trying to share my faith with my grandfather you know, before he passed was I wanted to see him in heaven. I want to see the people I love go to heaven. And contrary to popular belief, not everyone goes to heaven, right? There is a um, choice we make, right? Our eyes are open. We're born-again Christians. That's no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So Paul is, is saying here in verse 13, He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, these new Christians, about those who are asleep, who have died. Because we don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. He says, but since we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's the hope that he was giving to these Thessalonians. That because Jesus died and rose again, Because Jesus was resurrected, you also will be resurrected. We will always be with the Lord, Paul goes on to say. And I'll come back to that at the end. But I want to talk a little bit about how a church begins today as a kind of oppose, maybe a little bit, to how it began back then. How does a church begin today? Well, if you've ever been a part of a newer church, you might have noticed it kind of began like a new business begins. Think about how a new business begins. A business owner, a smart business owner, will do a demographic study of the, of the area or the community that they want to start their business in. Any business owners in the crowd today? Anybody? No, I know one at least, okay? If you want to start a business, you kind of need to know where you're going to start this business, who's going to promote or who's going to um, sustain your business for you. So I thought about this, uh, if I had a business or if I would want a business to spring up in St. Clair Shores, it would be a restaurant that promotes clean eating. That would be my thing. I'm a healthy eater. I would want a, a, a restaurant that, that served up a lot of fresh vegetables, whole foods, fruits, and all of that. And I, I just don't see that happening in St. Clair Shores, all right? If you're with me on that, I just don't see it happen. I just think there's too many people in our area that like their burger and fries, all right? They don't want a spinach, veggie, hummus wrap with a side of carrots and celery and snap peas. That's my lunch, all right? I like that. I'd love to go somewhere and have that for lunch. But I don't see uh, that happening. And the price point is a little issue, too, in our area because people like to spend 5 bucks on lunch, not 10 bucks. Am I right? Yeah, so you can pray for me, okay? Because I don't think this restaurant's going to come about, all right? I'm kidding, all right? I I don't know. It it might. Who knows? But when a church starts like a business, I think it can lead to a false sense of success. Think about this. Especially if success is measured by butts and budgets. That's what people like to talk about in church leadership. How many people come to church, your attendance, and how big your budget is, right? Right? That's not 
always indicative of success. And that's not just what small churches say, <laughs> by the way. If a new church begins with a demographic study, it could dictate what they do with their Sunday morning service, for example. Like, you might look at it and say, well, in this area, what style of music is popular? What genre of music is popular? Okay, then that's the kind of music we're going to play on Sunday mornings. Or in this area, there's a lot of families, so we're going to have a top-notch kids program. Or you might say, well, this this area is white-collar or blue-collar or or black or white or Asian, and so we're going to have sermons that, that fit accordingly to the type of people, and we're going to make sure those kinds of people are seen on stage. That's the wrong way to approach starting a new church. I give you the example of the trellis and the vine. The trellis and the vine. A trellis. Some of you might have a trellis in your yard. I don't, if you don't know what a trellis is, it looks something like that. And uh, it's a wooden structure that holds up or displays a vine of flowers or even fruit. Right? Nobody looks at a trellis and says, wow, what a beautiful piece of wood. You don't care about the trellis. What do you care about? The vine. You care about the vine. The vine has to produce flowers or fruit, and that's what makes it beautiful. You see, the type of music that a church plays, the programs that go on in it, the building that it meets in, those are trellises. They are not the vine. They are not the vine. The vine is the well, is Christ, and we are the branches. But the trellis is supposed to support the body of Christ. Jesus said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. You know that verse? One of the first verses I ever memorized as a Christian. It's a wonderful verse, and it says a lot. You know, one of the largest churches in our country, it's called Willow Creek. It's in the suburbs of Chicago. They did a study. They call it a reveal study. They did a survey, a big, giant survey. After 20 years of being a seeker-friendly church, have you ever heard of a seeker-friendly church? But after 20 years of being a seeker-friendly church, they discovered something very important their people were not growing in their faith. They were attracting seekers, attracting people. Their attendance numbers were sky high. Thousands of people go to Willow Creek on every Sunday morning. But the programming doesn't equal spiritual growth. Just because you attend the programming all the time doesn't equate to spiritual growth. What causes growth? The Word and the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Paul did not need a team, a a, a demographic study for his team when he went into Thessalonica. He just needed what he knew worked. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God is what he always preached, the good news about Jesus, and he trusted the Holy Spirit. Let me show you in verse 5 of chapter 1. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and it came with full conviction. When Paul spoke and taught the scriptures, those people's eyes were open to the truth, and the truth set them free. They were convicted. 
They said, you know what? I don't want to live this way. I want to put my trust and hope in Jesus. And it changed their life. Verse 5 of chapter 2. We didn't come to you, Paul says, with words of flattery. We didn't water this gospel down. We didn't come with greed. We didn't try to get all your money. God is our witness. Verse 6, nor do we seek glory from people. We didn't want to be famous. Said, we didn't, even, we didn't even bring up the fact that we are apostles of Christ. We go back to Jerusalem. We know, guys. <laughs> we know James, Jesus' brother. We know Peter. We spent time with them. We're big shots, but we're not doing that to you. We're coming to you with the word of God, telling them the truth. Verse 9, chapter 2, Paul says, You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul could have come into this town and said, Do you know who I am? You need to support me financially. He didn't do that. He didn't want to do that. He said, I will work as a tent maker, and that's what he did. And he worked, and he found that to be a, a, a great way to share his faith while he worked. For those of you that, that work or go to school, have you thought about, that's a great place to share your faith? Don't be afraid to share your faith. As a public school teacher for 16 years, I was not afraid to share my faith with anyone. I didn't proselytize because I figured out a long, long time ago that it's God who changes lives. I can't do it myself, but I can preach the word, and I can see what God is doing in people's lives. No fancy programs, no special music, no theatrics on stage for Paul. He even admitted, I'm not even a very good speaker. But yet, it says in verses 8 through 9, our word, the word of the Lord, sounded forth from you. This is how amazing the word impacted those people in Thessalonica. It says Macedonia and Achaia, that's the whole region around them. Your faith has gone forth everywhere. We don't even have to talk about it. Everybody already knows. There's reports are going out. You turn to God from idols and you serve the living and true God because the word of God and the Holy Spirit changes people's lives. If only churches today would trust more in the vine and not the trellis. I believe we are in an area right now, in a time right now, with all that's going on, people want to know God. They want the truth. They want to experience God. They want to get closer to God. We have seen in our church, pre-COVID, and now where we're at right now, we have seen our numbers double. Twice as many people are coming to church. And I don't think it's just here at Life of Purpose. I think it's everywhere. And that tells me that people want to know God. They want to get closer to God. They want peace in their life. They want truth in their life. And I'm glad you're here because you know that I'm going to bring you the word and the truth. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. As long as I pastor here, the word will come first. And the word will lead people like Sierra and Heather to take that next step in their faith and get baptized. Many of you are thinking right now in your, in your thoughts, what is my next step? What am I going to do next? Maybe I need to get baptized. Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I need to read my Bible more. Maybe I need to give and stop holding on. Maybe I need to give.
to God, all of me, and go all in. What's your next step? Paul taught some things in three weeks, let me tell you. I kind of get, get through these quickly, I hope, um, in the sense of what he taught, and then talk to you about a little bit about end times um, at the end here. One of the things that Paul taught is that, listen, you're going to suffer as a Christian. You're going to suffer as a Christian because of the culture they lived in and the time that they lived in, there was suffering. If you're a Christian in some countries today, you will suffer. There are people who are dying for their faith, for our faith, right now. We have missionaries we support in Chad, Africa. They are are risking their lives in some cases because they are ministering to people of other faiths and trying to share the gospel with them. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, Paul says, When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we are going to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. I mean, they saw it. Run out of town because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they believe Jesus was the Messiah. I think today there's a little bit too much sugarcoating going on in sermons all over the country. I want you to have the abundant life, friends. I really do. But I don't think life is lived on a mountaintop. I think sometimes God takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. I think sometimes we do suffer in life. But he promises that he will bring you through to green pastures. Doesn't he? Isn't that what Psalm 23 says? So I believe that sometimes, yeah, we're on the mountaintop, but sometimes, yeah, we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'll tell you something else. Please don't get sucked in to the TV preachers who never talk about your sin. They don't ever talk about that. They only talk about that great life that God wants you to have, and they never talk about your sin. Well, maybe right now things aren't going well for you because you're the one who's the problem. Think about it. I mean, when you know what God wants you to do, you know the right thing, and you do what you want to do anyway, and then maybe you're even bold enough to say, hey, God, can you bless my unholy relationship, my unholy lifestyle? Come on. God's not going to bless that. Just confess it to him. I know it's not easy, but confess it to him. What does 1 John 1.9 say? Confess your sins. God is faithful and just, and he will forgive you. He will purify you. Let's not stop pretending and and, and hold it back. Let's let's preach the the whole word, right? The whole word of God as a church. Paul taught this. He taught sanctification. He taught holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Our culture is filled with that, right? People addicted to pornography, in unhealthy relationships, Right? Paul says, abstain from that. That's a problem. Be holy. May the God of peace, in verse 23, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Our goal as a Christian is to live as clean as we can, to sin as little as possible. And when we do, confess it. If you mess up, fess up. Right? Get clean. Strive for perfection. Live humble lives. Not popular in a social media world that we live in today, right? But Paul says in verse 11, aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands as we instructed you. Live humble lives and love one another. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love. Love, right? Paul affirms that. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord make you increased and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. 
And then I love, if you have time today, to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's a nice little checklist of, of the things that we do as Christians. I love these four verses, uh, starting in verse 16. Rejoice always. Do you only rejoice when things are going well? Or can you rejoice always? Pray without ceasing. That means don't ever stop praying. Verse 18, give thanks in some circumstances or all circumstances. All circumstances. And I love this last one. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't pour water on the fire. The Holy Spirit. The church has to burn bright so people can see our light, right? we got to have our light shining. And then, finally, Paul talks about end times in these two letters. And he did it um, to bring hope, really. The end times should not scare you. It's really only scary to those that don't understand the word. And you're here today to understand the word, and I'm here to help you understand it. And I will tell you, it's pretty simple, really, in 1 Thessalonians we see it. I'll tell you, though, I heard about a church that was about our age, 15 years old. Our church started in 2005, and a visiting preacher came to bring the word on a Sunday. And the pastor of that church said to him, please don't talk about end times. And he said, I I haven't really talked about that yet with my church, and I think it would scare them. 15 years and never talked about end times. Paul was in Thessalonica, and he talked about end times three weeks. (laughs) Three weeks, and then he wrote letters to him. This is what he says about end times. Verse 16 of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. The Lord himself will descend from heaven, that's Jesus, will return, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. You're going to hear it. That's the point. The dead in Christ will rise first, And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. That's the rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. It doesn't say scare each other with these words. It says encourage each other. Don't be afraid of the end times. This is the rapture. Jesus comes back. Everyone will hear the sound of that return. Those who have passed away will be caught up first. And the, whole, the, the, the spirit that we all have, which is, in my understanding of Scripture, is always with the Lord. You pass away, your Holy Spirit, your, or not, your spirit um, enveloped, however you want to see it or visualize it. The Holy Spirit, um, when you are born again Christian, um, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. But when he comes back, you will receive a new body like Jesus has, a heavenly body, with your spirit, it will become, they will come together. Those who have passed away first, then we, if we're still alive, when it happens, if it happens tomorrow, all of us will be caught up in the air and we will receive a heavenly body. That comes first. Then there's a great tribulation of seven years. During that tribulation, it's going to be ugly on earth. Good news. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I hope you're not going to be there either because you're caught up. You're with the Lord. We won't experience it. Now, I'll get into this more uh, when uh, we talk about Revelation next week. But it's that, that straightforward. When does it take place? Paul says, nobody knows but God. Nobody knows. But it, 
shouldn't be a surprise to Christians. It will be a surprise to some. He goes on to say in verse 2 through 4 of chapter 5, For you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. A thief in the night. People were saying there's, there's peace, there's security, we're all set, we're safe. And then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Because I don't know what he's talking about. They will not escape. But you, Christians, are not in the darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You're children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the light uh, of the night or of the darkness. We are born again by the Holy Spirit. We are the bride of Christ. We have oil in our lamps, oil being the Holy Spirit. When the groom comes, when Jesus comes, we'll be ready. We won't be surprised. The church in Thessalonians read this letter and got comforted. They had hope. Everything was going to be okay. But then something bad happened. In between 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, somebody wrote a letter pretending to be Paul and told them Jesus already came and you didn't get a ride. <laughs> he left you. That's what we see in 2nd in, in Thessalonians. Verse 1 of chapter 2, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I think really prompted Paul to write a second letter to them right away. Because they wrote the first letter and then somebody wrote a false letter and now he has to write the second letter. He says, um, we ask brothers, don't be shaken in your mind or don't be alarmed by spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Someone wrote a, a false letter, a lying letter. And Paul says, listen, don't worry, that's a lie. Jesus didn't come back. Calm down and get back to work. That's really the ultimate, that's what 2 Thessalonians is all about. Jesus didn't come back yet. He's still coming. Calm down, get back to work. Because what happened was, is some people took the, 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 the stance of, oh, Jesus already came back. He didn't take me with him. I'm going to do whatever I want. Some people have that philosophy of life, right? I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want. They were busybodies, stirring up trouble. Paul says, no, 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 get back to work. Verse 12, no, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, earn their own living. And isn't that our call today? Until Jesus comes back, we're still there. We're still waiting. We believe it's going to happen, but we've got to get to work. We've got to encourage each other. We've got to build up the church. Remember what the church is. It's not a building. It's the body of Christ. It's you. It's us gathering together, producing fruit. Until Jesus comes back, we put our faith in God's word and the Holy Spirit to change lives. And today, we're celebrating two lives being changed. Two people taking that next step, Heather and Sierra. And they're going to go get um, prepared. They're going to take their secret um, entrance. There's a secret tunnel in this church. Takes them... (laughs) to that back spot right there. And I just discreetly walk over there and step back there. But uh, we have a wonderful song that our team is going to also play. And so will you pray with me as our team comes up and prepares for our final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for Thessalonians. Thank you for Paul and, and his wisdom that he gets from you, Father. Thank you that the word of God changes lives. It still does been doing it for 2,000 years. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that dwells in us, the 
opens our eyes, that helps us see, helps us walk with you, helps us be holy as you are holy. Father, may your spirit today change lives. I pray today someone here, maybe not just one, but many here, want to take that next step with you, God. They want to move forward. They want to grow closer to you. Father, may we all see that this life goes quick. It's a mist. It vanishes just like that. We've got to make the most of it, and the most of it is when we have a relationship with you, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name. And the church said,